What happens when you're doing everything right, but not getting the results you want? In this episode, I'll discuss three crucial factors to consider when working to lose weight, including why exercise is not a very good weight loss tool. We'll talk about food quality versus food quantity. For example, why eating quote unquote healthier isn't always better. And we'll talk about how you track your weight loss and why the ways in which you track it could be deceiving you. And lastly, I'm going to share one strategy that I've used with hundreds of clients and equated to thousands of pounds of fat loss as the number one driver of long-term and sustainable fat loss success. So make sure you listen until the end and I hope you learn a lot. Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, where each week you will hear the real-world experiences, life lessons, and guided principles that every highly driven man needs to master, their health, productivity, and relationships by sharing conversations with the world's most successful people in fitness, nutrition, supplementation, and mindset. Meet your host, Benjamin Brown. He is a fitness and nutrition expert consultant to Fortune 500 companies and world championship sports teams, a husband and father of three, and has been helping men transform their physiques, optimize their energy, and own their fatherly mission since 2005. Thank you for joining us today, and without further ado, let's jump right in. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. Thank you very much for taking the time to tune in. Today on the show, we are talking about what happens when you feel like you're doing everything right and the scale isn't moving. So we're going to dig into three really uh, salient points as to uh, how we can troubleshoot the weight loss process, uh, why that's important, why it's important to differentiate between weight loss and fat loss, uh, why exercise is not a good weight loss tool. We'll talk about food quality versus quantity and some of the other mistakes that can be made that can absolutely sabotage your weight loss. Make sure you guys stick around to the end so that I can share sort of my number one, uh, my number one strategy that I use to help my clients lose weight, lose body fat and keep it off long term that not enough people in the industry are talking about. And I think that it's really important that in order to understand uh, what you're doing wrong with weight loss, we need to understand what needs to be right. Uh, we need to understand what you actually need to do to lose weight. Like what are the absolute uh, things that we have to focus on in the first place? So if you're catching this uh, in the podcast, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I do these live trainings every week in my Facebook group called the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Community. So if you guys want to catch these live trainings and you're listening in the podcast, make sure you uh, cruise over to Facebook and look up the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Community and I'll post a link in the comments below. So thanks again for tuning in. So we're talking about when you're doing everything right and the scale isn't moving. And like I said, is in order to understand uh, you know, what you're doing wrong, you need to have a comprehensive understanding of what you need to do correctly. A lot of the people come out of the gate strong after the new year, right? We're all ramped up. We're going to set this year on the right course. Uh, it's 
2020 as you know was was such an interesting year for all of us in all of our own respective ways and for many people it really was the year that ignited their uh, the, the opportunity for them to dive into their health, to dive into their weight loss, to take control of their body, of their life, of their habits, of their lifestyle, because we've been given so much more time. Now, for many people, that wasn't the case, and that's okay to each his own. But hopefully this topic can shed a little bit of light on if you have been going down that road. And for many people, it's it's, hey, we started the new year off strong. We started exercising. I started eating right and controlling our portion sizes and drinking more water. And, and we're doing dry January, right? We're reducing our alcohol intake. And that's all good and well. Uh, and so, you know, what happens frequently is we see uh, some very positive progress initially over the first week or two. We see that scale start moving. We're feeling motivated. We're seeing the progress. And and then all of a sudden things can start to stagnate. Things can start to plateau. And so the it begs the question, what is happening when the scale is not showing progress? So let's talk about what it takes to influence. What are the, what are the factors that we need to be focusing on on a daily basis that really influence weight loss, influence fat loss? And very simply, it can be broken down to, I say very simply, it's not a simple topic, but from a physics standpoint, it actually is relatively simple. And then, so we'll talk about the main drivers and then we'll talk about some of the minutia that still really matters um, on the perimeter of it. And so first and foremost, it's calorie intake. Like just, you know, fundamentally, like how many calories are we taking in on a daily basis versus our calorie uh, our energy expenditure? How many calories are we putting out on a daily basis? And it's important to understand that our calorie expenditure is really broken up into a few different categories. Now, naturally, what we all think about from a calorie expenditure standpoint is we think about going out and exercising, right? I go to the gym and I lift weights for an hour and maybe I burn, I don't know, 300 calories or something like that. Or I go and I run for an hour. God forbid, I would never do that. But God forbid, I go and run for an hour and maybe I burn 500 calories, right? That's clearly calorie expenditure. And I think for a lot of us, that's what we tap into as conventional wisdom around what needs to happen for us to lose weight, lose weight right? Like we need to burn more calories. So I'm just going to go out and I'm going to exercise. And it's logical thinking, but from the science, it's actually not that logical. Now, in addition to the um, calorie expenditure from our overt exercise, from our structured exercise, we also have our resting metabolic rate. And a resting metabolic rate is actually responsible for the majority of the calories that we expend on a daily basis. Now, our resting met metabolic rate is really just the calories that we utilize through all of our biochemical processes to stay alive, to breathe, right? To, to respirate, to open our diaphragm and contract our diaphragm, to contract our muscles on a daily basis, to fidget, to just move around, um, to keep the lights on in the brain and process all of these energy reactions. And interestingly enough, that resting metabolic rate is responsible for up to about 70% of our daily energy expenditure. So, you know, even though you can go out and you can exercise for a period of time, uh, and that might be worth about 30% or 25% of your daily calorie expenditure, what really makes the most difference is your resting metabolic rate. 
in conjunction with a couple other things that don't get talked about as much. And that is what's called your NEAT or your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And, and that's like I alluded to is just your kind of fidgeting on a daily basis, how much you naturally get up and down, how much you just move around throughout the day, how quickly you speak, even like how quickly I blink my eyeballs or for me, like I'm a big hands talker, how much I move my hands. All of these things matter from an energy expenditure standpoint. In addition to, so that's what we call NEAT. And that's, uh, again, just walking and fidgeting and all of that stuff. And some people naturally do it more than other people. And then the other thing is what's called TEF or thermic effect of food. And that's simply the process of when we consume food, it takes energy to break down that food, to run all of the physiological processes that create the breakdown and absorption of those nutrients, which actually burns calories. So all of that stuff matters really far more than just the 25 or 30% of our of our overt or structured energy output, like going out for a run or going and lifting weights or doing a boot camp style class. And I think that's a really, really important concept to keep in mind here. We're going to come back to that but I want you to keep that in your mind. So we talked about calorie intake. That's simply how many calories you're taking in, calorie output, right? Our, our structured exercise, our resting metabolic rate, our NEAT, our TEF, all of those matter. Now, the two things that I haven't mentioned yet that really matter, that is more from a, I'm gonna use the term esoteric, but I don't think it's the right word, but, but more of a peripheral, uh, from more of a peripheral standpoint is time and consistency. And so you can create a calorie deficit from exercise. You can create a calorie deficit from your input, but if you're not giving yourself enough time and you're not practicing those behaviors consistently, then you're not going to lose weight. So now that we understand the, the, the physics around uh, energy intake, energy output, and why those matter from a weight loss standpoint. Let's really talk about, let's dive into differentiating between weight loss and fat loss. So you step on the scale, right? It's after the new year. We've been plugging in our healthy eating and our exercise, and we're going to boot camp classes, and we're sweating daily, and we feel really good about ourselves because we've been training consistently, and we're eating, quote unquote, healthier, right? And we're drinking more water, but the scale isn't moving. Well, Fundamentally, what is the scale actually a reflection of? Is the scale a reflection of progress? Yes and no. And the reason I say that is because it's very, very important to differentiate simply looking at scale weight as a measure of progress and everything else that contributes to an increase or a decrease in scale weight. So let's talk about what those things are because there's a very different um, uh, aspect of looking at progress from both scale weight and looking at body composition change or fat loss. Like if we're losing weight, we can be losing fat, we can be losing muscle, we can be losing water, we can be losing bone or ligamentous tissue. Uh, you know, we can simply cut off a limb and we can lose weight, but I don't think anyone would be happy about that sort of progress. So truthfully, what we see 
and 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 this is certainly in my experience and i'm sure you can agree and, and feel free to post a comment if if you think otherwise but oftentimes when we're looking at the scale what we really want to be understanding is how is my body composition changing because ultimately what I think that most people want, and I could be wrong, but what I think most people want is they want to look better in their skin. They want to feel more confident in their skin. They want to have more muscle tone. They want to have more, uh, less, excuse me, more muscle mass, less body fat. They want their clothes to fit better. All of these things that can to a degree be represented by the scale weight, but also is very much represented in body composition change. How are you gaining or maintaining lean muscle tissue? And how are you focusing on just losing, uh, just losing fat mass? And so again, is when we turn to the scale and look at the scale daily, it is not gonna tell us those things. It is not gonna tell us how much body fat we're losing. It's not gonna tell us how much water weight we're losing or gaining. It's not gonna tell us how much muscle mass we're losing or maintaining or gaining. It's simply giving us a representation of the body's uh, response, physiological response and biochemical response to factors that, and two variables that we've implemented over the last couple of days. So let me explain. What does that mean? Well, why does why does the scale be impacted by some of these things and what is the scale impacted by well it's impacted by the amount of carbohydrate that we consume so in other words let's say for example i consume a carbohydrate dense meal tonight and so that could be rice or potato or bread or pizza or alcohol or something like that and i wake up in the morning and i see that the scale is one or two or three or five pounds heavier is not unusual for some people. It's five pounds heavier than it was today. Did I gain five pounds of body fat? No, absolutely not. You didn't gain five pounds of body fat. Why? Because for every pound of fat that you need to gain, that you gain, you need to consume 3,500 calories. Now, maybe if you ate a large pepperoni pizza, you know, after all of your other meals, then maybe, maybe, but it's very unlikely. So what's happening instead? Well, for every gram of carbohydrate that we consume, we store three grams of water. So what that says is that, okay, I stepped on the scale. I'm just retaining water, which on a day-to-day -day basis happens all of the time. Now, in addition, what we don't talk about is what time of day are you measuring? Did you measure after a meal? Did you measure before or after you, know, you go to the bathroom? Maybe your weight gain or weight stagnancy is just poop. Maybe it's undigested food. Maybe it's sodium from the pizza or Thai food that you had the night before. Maybe it's from alcohol consumption. It is not unusual for me to work with clients that have multiple drinks on the weekend for it to take an entire week or more for their weight to drop back down to normal, quote unquote, normal uh, after those types of events because the body just retains water, right? So you need to look at the other variables that tell us if or if we're actually making progress, which again are okay, fat mass, 
um, and, and which I actually didn't even mention here, but it's circumference measurements. So, so when we look at how the body's storing body fat, well, we can just take measurements, right? You can take a waist measurement, you can take a hip measurement, you can measure your chest and your arms and your legs so that we can see, despite the fact that scale might not be changing, your body composition is changing. If those measurements are going down, which you, if you're actually managing your calories effectively, then they should be going down. Now, how quickly they're going down is totally up to how aggressive you're being with your calorie intake, with your energy output, with your sleep, and so on and so forth. So it's very, very important for us to understand fundamentally here, the scale does not tell us on a day-to-day -day basis how much progress we're making. It doesn't make us a good person. It doesn't make us a bad person. It doesn't give us the ammunition to uh, feel shameful or guilty or resentful or happy, uh, right? Because of the number you see. It has nothing to do with you, the person you are, the identity uh, that you are. And rather, all it is, is a data point that's giving us information to correlate to then other variables, right? Other variables like our circumference measurements, like pictures. When we simply can look at pictures, we can tell, okay, you know, I see that, and it, it totally depends on the, the size of the person. For a 130 pound female, there's not gonna be a lot of weight change, but there can be a lot of body composition change. For a 350 pound male, there could be a very significant amount of weight change. Okay, so that's important to keep in mind. All of this is very dependent on the individual. So we talked about how weight can be influenced on a day-to-day -day basis based on, right, like the amount of carbohydrate you're consuming, a, a female's menstrual cycle. Every female knows during that week of the month, uh, their weight is going to go up by one or two or three or five pounds. That's unusual. It's, excuse me, that's not unusual but that's also a very clear, uh, you know, uh, view of what water weight does in the body. Okay, so that by that first point, we need to differentiate between scale weight and fat loss, between weight on the scale and are we actually losing fat? And so when I work with clients, we do look at scale weight as one variable in the grand scheme of things. What are the other things that we're looking at? Well, we're looking at uh, measurements. We're looking at pictures. We're looking at stress levels. We're looking at sleep. We're looking at water intake. We're looking at exercise. We're looking at steps. All of these things work together to influence the rate at which we lose body fat. So I think it's very, very important to understand that because it's easy for us to think that we're doing everything quote unquote right when in actuality, you may not actually be factoring for all of the variables that matter because it does go beyond calories in, calories out. We have to factor in hormones. As we can put, anyone can put you on a, a 500 or a 1,000 calorie diet and you will lose weight to a certain point after which you won't. What happens then? What's going on then in terms of your metabolic output. What's happening in terms of, remember that resting metabolic rate I talked about that is responsible for up to 70% of your calorie daily calorie expenditure? 
what have we done to that resting metabolic rate? Now, this is very common in this industry is for people to, especially this time of year, to jump on these fad diets that are uber restrictive and create tremendous calorie deficits so that they lose weight. Bear in mind, bear in mind for every pound of fat that you lose, you're likely losing about a quarter or a third pound of muscle mass. And that's why strength training is so important to implement when you're on a weight loss plan. But what do a lot of people do? Well, they go extremely low calorie and they go do boot camp style classes or they go run. All of these things that are going to further contribute to breaking down muscle tissue. So you could lose 30 pounds, but 10 or 15 of that weight could very well be muscle. And muscle is extremely important to support that resting metabolic rate because the more muscle we have, the more energy we expend at rest. Additionally, the more muscle we have, and this is kind of, I guess I'll just segue into our number two point, which is why exercise is not a great weight loss tool. The research is very, very clear here because it's because exercise doesn't just affect the, the calories outside of the energy balance equation. It influences our desire to bring calories in. So the type of exercise that we do influences our hunger, our energy, our cravings, our mood, our libido, our digestion, all of these things that influence why we eat and how much we eat what we eat. So it's extremely important to keep that in mind because again, coming back to anyone can reduce their calories extremely low. Anyone can go out and start exercising um, one or two or three hours a day, but what are the metabolic compensatory patterns or what's the feedback loop that happens because of those behaviors? Well, like I said, it may work well for a week or two, and you might be white knuckling the process, trying to be extremely restrictive, at which point the brain will not allow you to do that anymore. And what it's going to do is it's going to, like I said, these, these quote unquote metabolic compensation, this metabolic compensatory uh, feedback loop whereby your brain's going to say, hey man, uh-uh, I need to survive. Like, I don't care how good you want to look at the beach this summer with your shirt off. It doesn't matter to me. I need to survive, right? I just need to survive. And so because of that, it's going to say, it's going to uh, manipulate your the hormones that regulate your hunger and your cravings, mainly gray, uh, ghrelin, leptin. Um, there's a few other ones that doesn't really matter other than to say, hey, it's going to make you hungry and it's going to make you tired. And so if we come back to the sort of resting metabolic rate, how much you move around on a daily basis, the longer we stay in a calorie deficit, the harder we exercise, the more your brain's going to signal the body to say, hey, I'm going to slow things down. Okay, I'm going to slow things down. I'm going to make sure you stop fidgeting so much. I'm going to make sure you kind of feel like you just want to sit on the couch more throughout the day. 
Um, I want to make, I'm just going to even slow down your thought processes uh, for a lot, for some people that are at the deep end of a, of a cut of a diet, they even start to talk slower. They even blink slower because the body is preserving calories. So it's not about eating less and exercising more. It's right from the physics standpoint, it's about okay, how do I manage my calories, right? How do we find an appropriate calorie deficit through both nutrition and exercise, but also how do I support my hormones in that process? And that's about supporting your appetite, your hunger levels. And so there's all kinds of strategies to do this. But if you're sitting there in a deficit, in an extreme deficit, or you've yo-yoed multiple times and you're standing on the scale saying, what the heck? is going on, I don't understand. Well, you could be at the end of, of, of some of those compensatory patterns, but more than likely, you're just not in an appropriate deficit. Maybe you're not exercising enough or simply moving enough. And I think there's a nice differentiation there that we need to be cognizant of because there's a difference between exercise and just movement. And as I alluded to earlier, exercise just isn't a great weight loss tool. The research is very clear. Uh, I'll give you an example. One study found that for a 200 pound man to run one hour per day, four days per week, or sorry, four days per month, he would lose up to five pounds assuming everything else stays the same. Now, I don't know about you, but running for four hours a week uh, for four weeks to lose five pounds seems like an awfully large uh, uh, amount of work for very little return, very little return on investment. So that's a great example of where exercise, simply burning calories, isn't the solution rather it's so much easier let's say you let's say you burn <laughs> let's say you burn 350 calories or 500 calories in that run well that could be the difference between uh, just abstaining from half of the sleeve of the girl scout cookies you know my my wife brought in like four boxes of girl scout cookies the other day and i've single-handedly uh, demolished a sleeve a day so I could, I could abstain from a sleeve a day. That would be a lot more logical for me <laughs> to do that than to go run for an hour. That's absolutely asinine. But that's the way we think about these things. That's sort of the conventional wisdom is I'm just going to go out and run. But I'm telling you that that's not the solution. The solution is doing things that are less stressful on the body, managing your nutrition more effectively. In addition to, remember I said, the two peripheral factors that aren't not enough people are focusing on is time and consistency. Maybe you're just not giving yourself enough time and maybe you're just not looking at enough of variables to help you actually determine if you are indeed making progress from a weight to a fat loss standpoint. So that's important to take into consideration. So instead of the running, instead of these exercises uh, like the boot camp style classes, the running, because these things are uh, very intense and because they're very demanding on the body, the body has these compensatory patterns. There's hormonal influences that make us 
ramp up appetite. So if you've ever gone out for a run or you've done a hit style, right, a, a hit style class, you know that you come home and you're absolutely famished. So what ends up happening and the research shows that basically what ends up happening is you do all this intense exercise, but, and for whatever calories you end up expending, which isn't really that much in the grand scheme of things, you end up consuming because of the increase in uh, hunger, because of the increase in hunger and because of the compensatory downregulation in energy expenditure. So I may go do an hour long hit style class, right? That, that I feel great about, like I was in just in a puddle of sweat on the ground and I'm exhausted and I feel so accomplished. And then I get home and I'm freaking ravenous and I eat more than what I would have normally eaten. And not only do I eat more than what I would have normally eaten, but my body also says, you did so much work earlier. We're not used to expending that type of, of, of energy. We're going to make sure that you spend the rest of the afternoon feeling way more lethargic than you normally would. So I end up actually moving around and fidgeting and talking slower and blinking slower and just not doing the things that I would normally do, like going out for a walk, right? So that's where we have to look at dose response. And this, I really believe, is probably one of the most important components that we can address when we're looking at a weight loss and a fat loss plan is first and foremost, making sure that whatever you're doing is realistic for you and that we're not throwing all of our tools. Uh, we're not trying to use all of our tools at once, right? We have all these tools in the tool basket that we can use towards weight loss. And this is a conversation that I have with a lot of clients because Oftentimes what happens is when we get started with the program, they say, hey, I want to do the strength training that you recommend, but also is it okay if I go run three or four days a week? Is it okay if I do my Peloton bike? Is it okay if I do a second workout per day? And the answer is maybe, but do you really need it? Probably not. So that we have tools to use when we get to the later stages of fat loss, when the metabolism has compensated to some degree, and we need to turn up the flame just a little bit by maybe adding a little bit more cardio, by maybe adding a, a, a hit session here or there. But we have to pay attention to what's going on with the stress load on the body and the impact and the body's response to that stimulus. So you'd be much better off doing physical activity that is going to help you expend some calories like walking, like low intensity exercise, because uh, it doesn't have the same uh, hormonal effect. You're able to, it's much more what we call parasympathetic. So we have the, in terms of the nervous system, we have the fight or flight mode and we have the rest and digest mode. And because we are all so switched on every single day with the phone and the computer and the kids and the job and the finances and the politics and, you know, the stress, the stress is overwhelming and it's all sympathetic. And then we want to throw on top of that a hit style class and an aggressive strength training workout and cut our calories down. It's too much. It's way too much. So it comes back to dose response. What can we do? to continue to support the body's uh, metabolic output, 
the body's ability to burn calories freely and not go into this sympathetic fight or flight mode and say, hey, how do I burn calories in a way that can support this rest and digest mode? And that's where walking truly is one of the most powerful fat loss tools that most people aren't doing enough of. I'll say that again. Walking, if you are in, if you are attempting to lose weight, to lose body fat, and you're managing your nutrition to the degree that you think is realistic for you, right? You, you feel like you've created some level of a calorie deficit. You're exercising, you're doing strength training, which you should be doing because strength training has very positive hormonal impact in terms of growth hormone and, um, and testosterone and uh, laying down new muscle tissue and supporting blood sugar regulation and not being too sympathetic or stressful on the body. If you're doing all of these things and then you ask, well, I need to do more. If you have the time to do more, you should be walking. That 100%, if I could give you any clinical pearl, my friends, that is it to the tune of anywhere from 10 to 15,000 steps a day is one of the most powerful fat loss tools. So if you're not doing that, start doing that. You can thank me later. So we talked about differentiating between weight loss and fat loss. We talked about exercise is not a good weight loss tool because of the compensatory patterns that it instills, especially intense, aggressive, cardio-based exercise. Don't get me wrong, like cardio is great. It's healthy for us. You know, 20 or 30 or, or 60 minutes at a moderate intensity is great for improving our aerobic capacity. It's great for blood pressure. It's great for uh, improving mitochondrial function or the body's ability, the cell's ability to produce energy. It's very healthy, but it's not associated with weight loss. It's associated with health. The healthier you are, the better you are able to lose body fat. So bit circuitous, but that's the way to look at it. Now, the last thing that I want to touch on here, and then I'll wrap it up. The last thing I want to touch on is food quality versus quantity. And this is a, a common one for people to say, hey, I am eating so much healthier, All right? I'm eating so much healthier. Uh, and I think there's a couple different sort of veins to this discussion. Uh, but one is there's the kind of the group that would suggest Calories are the only thing that matters. And, and, you know, some people call this flexible dieting. Some people call this if it fits your macros. But it's the idea that it doesn't really matter what you're eating as long as you're managing your calories. And as, if those calories are truly in a calorie, if you're truly in a calorie deficit, for example, let's say my resting, uh, my, my basal metabolic rate says that I need to consume a minimum of uh, 2,500 calories to maintain my weight. So I'm going to try and lose weight. So I'm going to cut my calories to 2,000. The These, these uh, camps, if you will, would say, hey, I need to, or you can do whatever you want. You can eat Pop-Tarts and donuts and McDonald's and Twinkies and um, whatever. Drink alcohol and 2,000 calories is 2,000 calories is 2,000 calories. And you will lose weight. And to some degree, that holds true. Now, the other side, the other camp would say, no, 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 no. You know what? Forget you and your calories. Uh, what matters most is that you're eating healthy food. This would be like what we've seen a lot in the sort of paleo world of eat real whole foods. You know, don't eat any processed food, this whole whole 30 uh, nonsense. And OK, you know, to some degree, um, well, I'm, 
it doesn't even, it, it's illogical because calories matter most. So what I'm telling you is that they both matter, but what matters most is figuring out a way to manage your calories effectively. So invariably what this comes down to is some combination of the two is saying, hey, first and foremost, how do I just manage my food quantity? Like if we need to create a calorie deficit, if we need to truly be aware of the number of calories that we're taking in on a daily basis, and and I'll add that if you're not, if you are working to lose fat, to lose weight, and you are not managing, you're not tracking your calories, whether it's journaling, whether it's in a calorie tracking app, um, then you're doing yourself a disservice. And you are not able to come and say, I'm doing everything quote unquote right, because you don't know what you're actually doing. You don't actually know how many calories you're taking in. Therefore, you can't possibly know that you've created a calorie deficit. And this is some of the gray area where people get lost is coming in and saying, you know what, I, I cut out all these processed food, I cut out alcohol, I'm eating more potatoes and rice and whole foods and, you know, quality meats and paleo foods and gluten free foods. And the reality is, you can easily replace uh quote unquote, processed foods with healthy processed foods, you can easily replace replace processed foods with more whole foods. You know, the, a great example, I was speaking with a client um, the other day, and we were talking, I, I, basically, we were talking about um, how they were making some, oh, that we were talking about pancakes, right? And she was saying how she makes, uh, you know, she would be making these, let's just say, Bisquick, right? Like pancakes with processed flour. And I don't know, it was like 250 calories for her serving of pancakes. But then she was told about um, a quote unquote healthier recipe where she was using mushed up banana and two whole eggs and coconut oil and peanut butter uh, to make her, her healthier pancakes. But as I we, we, we talked about this together, I explained, well, if you actually calculate the calories in the eggs and the banana and the coconut oil and the peanut butter um, and the cream or whatever that goes in it, whatever the liquid is that goes in it, you realized you just took a 250 calorie meal and you turned it into a 600 calorie meal. Now, is that is that healthier for you? Probably not. Is it better for weight loss? Absolutely not. And so I think it's easy to get confused by this, all of the marketing terms, organic and free range and grass fed and all of this stuff. And so you still have to pay attention to the calories. It doesn't mean that consuming more whole foods isn't going to have a more favorable hormonal impact uh, than the processed flours. And it's very individualized. But at the end of the day, if we're talking about weight loss, if we're talking about fat loss, you still have to manage your calories, my friends. And so they both matter. Food quantity matters, food quality matters, especially as you start to go down this weight loss journey, you realize that in order to manage calories, you're gonna be much better off consuming, as I call it in my coaching business, more single ingredient foods, more whole foods, more foods that literally have one ingredient. Apple, steak, chicken, broccoli, asparagus, oranges, berries, 
you know, all of these whole foods because they're easy. It's easier to manage your calories. They keep you satiated for longer. They're more nutrient dense. And what you realize is that you feel better consuming those foods. Now that still doesn't mean that there's anything wrong per se with more processed foods, especially if you've uh, figured out a way to fit them into your calorie budget, which I encourage you to do. That's why I just don't resonate with things like Whole30 and these highly restrictive dieting methodologies. And so there's a there's just a million ways to do that. But what matters most is the way that works best for you to ensure that when you step on the scale, in fact, you are you do feel like you're doing everything. You do know that you're doing everything right. You do know that you're doing everything right. And so I think that those are the most important factors to take into consideration when we talk about why the scale may not be moving. Is first and foremost, does it matter that the scale's not moving? And how are you looking at it in the context of everything else, right? All of the other variables that we discussed your actual body composition. So circumference measurements, pictures, and then what are the things that influence scale weight, right? What you're eating on a daily basis, carbohydrates, and this doesn't make them bad, but your weight is going to change because of fluid. A hard training day, you can be retaining one or two or three pounds, but I will go up in weight after a hard leg training day because my cells are, my muscle cells are inflamed and they're retaining more water. After drinking alcohol, a night of alcohol, uh, you may, you know, you may be uh, retaining water. After a salty meal, you may be retaining water. You might just not have gone to the bathroom yet, and it could be a, a pound or two. So when you're in this situation, you've got to look at the data. Otherwise, you're not doing justice to the process. And what happens all too often is we step on the scale, you know, we're, we're spending a week or two or three weeks going down this road of eating healthier and exercising, and we don't see the scale moving and we get frustrated and we say, screw it, something's wrong with me. It must be my hormones. It must be, you know, um, that it must be my genetics. Um, something, yes, because I know we are all special snowflakes, but at the end of the day, it really does come down to you're just not considering enough of the variables for one. And number two, remember time and consistency. You are not giving yourself enough time to reap the benefits of your efforts and potentially you're not being consistent enough. And this goes to just because you ate great at breakfast and lunch doesn't give you permission to eat like crap at dinner. By that same token, just because you ate great from Monday to Thursday doesn't mean that Friday, Saturday, Sunday can be an absolute melee. And that is what, frankly, most people do. To the degree that weight goes down throughout the week, then you go crazy on the weekends and you have your uh, happy hour on Friday and order pizza and do whatever the hell you want on Saturday, Sunday, and then you've totally rebounded and then some. And it's not uncommon for me to see that people's weight spikes up on Monday, slowly goes down and understand that one, this is something we're all guilty of. Like it's it's just part of our, uh, 
uh, society. It's so socially acceptable. That's fine. But you need to take responsibility. If this is something that you truly care about, you have to take responsibility. And this is where this is the stuff that's not talked about when it comes to fat loss is all of the behaviors that come into play that influence our nutrition decisions. And that revolves around our social support, our family, our, our, our stress levels, our financials, uh, our friends, right? Uh, the people that we surround ourselves with are huge contributors to our behaviors. And that's the hard part is because as people go through these transformations, they start to realize that they don't necessarily want to surround themselves with the same people that they did before. Their behaviors change. They become more physically active. They make better decisions and feel good about making better decisions on a daily basis. Over the weekends, it becomes not about sitting and watching football and drinking beer and eating wings, but going out for a hike with their family, enjoying nature, and then coming back and, and making a healthy meal and prepping for the week because they're a different person than they were before. So these are all the things that are, are, are happening when we go down and go through this weight loss journey that far surpass what the scale is telling you. Because I guarantee that if you stepped on the scale and you were leaner, your clothes fit better, you had more muscle mass, you felt more confident, you felt stronger and more sure of yourself, then you wouldn't care so much what the scale said. So we've got to dissociate that connection because as I said earlier, the scale says nothing about who you are as a person. It doesn't make you good or bad. It doesn't make your behaviors good or bad. It is one single data point that is more representative of the behaviors in the past 24 to 48 hours than your behaviors over the last month. You've got to give yourself the time and the consistency. So when we're going through this process, take those things into consideration. The questions that you want to ask yourself when you're troubleshooting for fat loss are, how are you tracking your weight and fat loss? If you're just using the scale, then you're, it's an injustice to the process. You need to track circumference measurements. You need to take pictures and you need to look at the things like, am I actually in a calorie deficit? Well, if you're not tracking and you don't know what your maintenance is, you can't actually tell if you're in a deficit. If you're spending weeks in stagnation from both a circumference measurement and a scale weight and the pictures aren't changing and all of the other variables are the same in terms of you're eating the same amount of calories, then you likely are not in a calorie deficit, plain and simple. So you need to figure out a way to reduce your calories. Now that can be through your nutrition and or just moving more in a realistic way for you. That brings us to the next one. Are you moving daily with both structured and unstructured activity? I said, move. We need to move more. 10 to 15,000 steps per day, I believe, is probably one of the number one uh, weight loss strategies, long-term weight loss strategies for both health and weight loss. And to be fair, I said I was going to share with you guys the number one strategy that I've used over the years. And as I'm talking about it, this actually wasn't what I had in mind. Um, so I'll get to that in a second. But I do believe that weight loss, uh, excuse me, that walking is up there 100%, especially as a tool to manage stress, which brings us to 
the next one, are you managing your stress levels? Like I talked about, we are in sympathetic overload, my friends, and we have to find areas to deload. It's you just we can't keep adding more to our already overflowing plate. It's not about doubling up your workouts. It's not about sleeping less. It's not about training harder. Man, it's about giving yourself a break and figuring out the things that actually charge you up versus deplete you, which is why I think walking is one of those. It can also be create being creative. It can be spending time with your family. It can be it can be spending time away from your family. It can be binging on Netflix. It can be playing video games. It can be doing an art project. It can be hitting golf balls. So you got to find those things and, and acknowledge that it can't just be all more, 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 go, 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 which is so um, just stressed upon in this day and age. It's not, it's not helping us. I promise it's not helping us. Are you sleeping enough? And when? This is a whole nother conversation. I've done plenty of podcasts on sleep, but we know full well, if you're not sleeping enough, you are not going to hit your uh, your fat loss goals because of the hormonal implications, very similar to the metabolic compensation that we talked about. If you're not sleeping up enough, you're basically turning yourself into a type two diabetic. Uh, and so it's going to, it's going to, uh, rev- it's going to factor into every other area of your life. Um, and and limit your ability to uh, to lose weight. So we've got to look at sleep. And then how are your relationships and how are your emotional health? Those matter. We eat for a reason. It goes beyond calories in, calories out, because what are the things that influence why we eat? It's our emotions. It's the people we surround ourselves with. It's the situations that we put ourselves in on a daily basis and the way that we cope. The way that we cope when we're experiencing fear and anger and anxiety and doubt and happiness and fulfillment is whether we're sad or happy, there's always an excuse to eat. We've got we've to shift the emphasis there to things that actually serve us. Now, nothing wrong with celebrating through community, but but simply focusing on food as a celebration and is also a, a, uh, a coping mechanism is not serving us well. So all of those things matter. Um, the last thing that I want to talk about is a, a very important point that I want you to keep in mind. In addition to the walking, I said, I'm going to share the number one thing that I think matters most when we're in a, a weight loss phase, a fat loss phase that is going to help you maintain long-term uh, get to and maintain long-term progress, and that is your protein intake. So study after study shows that uh, all things being equal, groups that are dieting, so they're in a, a known calorie deficit, a structured and equated, right? We have two groups. They're equated for calories, uh, trying to lose weight, and we want to see who lo- loses the most weight and maintains the most weight loss. Well, what we know from these groups is the groups that are in a deficit but consume more protein relative to their total calories. So let's just say there's a group that eats, you know, maybe 20% protein and and 40% carb and 40% fat and another group eats 35% or 40% protein and the remainder of carbs and fats. Uh, The group that eats more protein uh, loses more weight, they maintain more muscle mass 
they're more successful with their weight loss long-term. Um, and in all likelihood, this is just me speculating, but they probably feel better about the process. And so you need to make sure that if you are in, uh, imposing a calorie deficit, that you do everything you can to try and keep your protein intake high. Um, and my suggestion would be uh, keeping your protein at about anywhere from uh, 30 to 35%, if not more, if you can. But I think for realistically, for most people, 30 to 35% of their total calorie intake. And one of the things we talk about is most people should be shooting for uh, 0.8 to one gram per pound of ideal body weight. And so you can figure that out. Let's say we're talking about a 200 pound male. Well, they should be consuming somewhere around 200 grams of protein, um, anywhere from 160 to 200 grams of protein. Okay, so keep that in mind. What I've observed over the years is that is woefully shy and low for most people uh, when they're in, entering just just in most people's everyday diet, and I think sort of the the numbers um, of of what Americans like the percentage of of fat and protein and carbs that Americans consume on a daily basis is so much more skewed towards carbohydrate and fat, which makes sense. I mean, if we think about the types of foods that people consume, highly processed foods, it comes with a lot of carbs, a lot of fat not a lot of quality protein. And so most people are probably consuming anywhere from 10 to 20% uh, of their daily intake of calories from protein. We need to bring that up because it's going to, it's going to help you maintain muscle mass. It's going to give you more energy. It's going to keep your blood sugar stable. It's going to help you think more clearly. It's going to help you recover from exercise. Remember we talk about maintaining muscle mass uh, because muscle mass is this very metabolically active, energy-burning organ. Muscle is an organ. And I have a great interview. Um, I'm not sure which one it is in the podcast with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, but she is a, a, a doctor who specializes in what she's called muscle-centric medicine. But essentially, all of the benefits of not only maintaining, but increasing muscle mass as we age, because most people lose anywhere from three to 8% of their muscle mass every year after 40 or 50 years old. So we've got to do everything we can to hold on to this extremely valuable tissue, extremely valuable tissue. And that's why I have all my clients strength training, all of them consuming adequate protein, or at least working towards consuming adequate protein. So lots of stuff to to percolate there as you continue on with your journey. Uh, just keep this in mind is if you're frustrated with what you see on the scale, make sure you're looking at all of the variables. Don't make up a story in your head that says that you're not good enough because of X, Y, Z, when in reality, you probably just aren't doing the right things. And that's not your fault. Acknowledge that you may not be doing the right things figure out what the right things are to do. Reach out to me if you need help. I'm here for you. And then let's get you on the right path so that you can be successful long-term. Because in all likelihood, you just haven't given yourself enough time and been consistent enough 
with the process. So I hope that was helpful for you guys. Thanks again for tuning in. If you like what you hear on the show, then do me a favor and uh, like, uh, leave me a five-star review, comment, let me know what you think of the show um, and share this with your friends. Uh, I appreciate it. That way we can help more people uh, and help all of you make smart nutrition simple. So thanks again for tuning in. I will catch you guys in the next episode. Did you love this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show? Then head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a positive rating and review. And more importantly, share this with other men that you know are dedicated to leveling up in every area of their life by learning how to live healthier, more energetic, and productive lives so that they can optimize their health for their family and future. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about how you can work directly with Ben, then just head on over to www.bslnutrition.com forward slash level up.